You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. Each week, you'll hear from remarkable guests who have overcome challenges and obstacles to succeed in the face of adversity. By listening to their stories, you'll get practical tips, tools, and resources you can implement today to bust through your own internalized prisons of worry and doubt. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hi there, this is Sarah, and thanks so much for downloading this episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, a podcast all about shedding limiting labels and beliefs so we can lead fulfilling, meaningful, and purposeful lives. And I believe without a doubt that we are each capable of more than we imagine. And sometimes life just delivers up those opportunities for us um, in ways that we couldn't have imagined. And we're going to learn more about that on today's podcast episode when we're joined by our guest, Matthew Gessler. So let me tell you a little bit about Matt, and I'm going to call you Matt. Okay, Matt? Is that good? Absolutely. Okay. I wouldn't have it any other way. Perfect. Because you just seem like in our conversations, you're a Matt guy. So, and, and listen, if we grew up together in Brooklyn, New York, you would have called me Maddie. <laughs> I like Maddie. <laughs> I like it. Okay. Not for nothing. Um, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Different no, story. No, okay. Okay. So Matt is a user experience leader. He has over 20 years experience practicing executive level UX strategy, design and management. And he's spoken at multiple conferences and he also publishes UX user experience articles to his company's insight blogs. But here's something that I thought was really interesting about Matt. Right after finishing his studies at Binghamton University School of Management, his first job was working as a developer. You know, and they say timing is everything. Well, his entry into development work, development work was right at the beginning of the dot com bust. Welcome to your professional career, Matt. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then the company he was employed by went out of business. So new career. Here you go. No job. But yeah. the good news for Matt was since he hated development, which he learned quickly on, um, his director at the time also knew that. And she suggested he try becoming a producer and recommended him for a job at Urban Box Office. And that was his entry into wireframing and design as a producer for Kirschenbaum Bond Senegal. Um, and we're gonna, I'm going to ask Matt to tell us a little bit about the difference of those labels because they are different. And I think sometimes those of us, I'm raising my hand here, who look at that kind of work from the outside in, lump it all together, and it's not the same. Um, so, but because of his impressive performance, it opened up more opportunities for him. And after that, he became vice president for Interaction Engineering Center of Excellence, long word, Interaction Engineering COE in the future for Bank of America. And he ran collaboration development services that involved providing customized development solutions for all lines of business within the bank and the Interaction Engineering Center of Excellence itself. So his entire career focused mainly on the user experience consultancy until 
he became principal user experience architect for Gannett USA Today Network. You know, for um, only being in business a few short years, in retrospect, Matt, you have covered a lot of ground. And currently, um, Matt is the director of UX UI at Radiant Digital. And we're going to talk to him a little bit more about that. But he oversees user research activities and works with Fortune 50 clients to define their project vision. And if that wasn't enough, he holds licenses for certified Safe 5 product owner, manager, and practitioner managing projects, Six Sigma and Six Sigma Greenbelt, which basically means when it comes to project management, project organization, match your guy um, because that allows him to present this you know what could be really a complex model to those of us on the outside it allows him to present and work with us in ways that also emphasize business agility focusing on customer centricity and then expanding the aspect of a portfolio management for a company in his spare time does he have spare time? In his spare time, Matt produces music. So with all that, Matt, formal welcome to the No Labels, No Limits podcast. Sarah, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm tickled pink. Well, well, you know, we've been a long time in getting this interview going from setting it up to having to move it to, you know, all kinds of stuff. And then COVID hits. I mean, it's just I, I crazy. Know. But the funny thing is, right, now with COVID, all the days are blending together. <laughs> they and, are. And, and it might have been, what, like six months, but it feels like two days. It, am I the only one that feels that way? I don't, I don't think you are the only one. Okay. I mean, there's a time warp thing going on. Exactly. Yeah, there is. People go, well, that was just, wasn't that years ago? I'm thinking, uh, no, we know that was there. It just gets compressed. Um and I, I, mean, I, I literally, to that point, I, I had a meeting last week. It was literally a week ago today. And I, we had a follow-up meeting today. And somebody on the call says, guys, this has been open for about, you know, three months. And I was like, we literally only met last week. And he said, oh, my God, I am so sorry. And I was like, listen, we're all there. Don't worry about it. We are. And I've become really intentional about putting dates on things. Like, so same to that point, I had a meeting yesterday with these folks who were planning a collaborative design, um, you know, on a system that they all work. It's not a, a computer system, but it's like, how are we going to work together type of system, cross systems, all this. So there's the business culture, all that kind of thing. And not everybody could be there. So I said, I will follow up. But I mean, I'm so specific now. It's like, here, you're going to get three emails. The first one is this. It's short. Second one is this. The third one is this. And I said, this is the last you're going to hear from me on this. But they all had yesterday's meeting date in them. So people go, what's this for? Right? Exactly. Because it does. Exactly. It just all runs together. Exactly. Yep. So, but I wanted to ask you a question specifically is how we can joke about like the changed environment, but how are you doing, you know, with changing work during COVID and, yeah. you know, we're coming up on a year on it now. I, I know. And it, it is the most bizarre year of, you know, my 43 years of existence. Right. So I am your typical extrovert. I love going to the office, interacting with my team, you know, being able to, pull the younger ones into conference room, get on the whiteboard, you know, and on top of that, you know, being 
part of a consulting company. Um, before the pandemic, I was on a plane once a week, you know, and literally the last time I flew was probably the first week of March last of uh, 2020. And I'm climbing the walls, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> but, you know, it. I don't want to be selfish, right? Like, I know it is for the greater good to stay home, stay separated, you know, um, not selfishly travel, things like that. So I'm hopeful now that, yeah, I think, was it yesterday? Fauci announced that, you know, come April, anybody who really wants to get a vaccine will get one. I will be there with my sleeve rolled up, ready to go. Yeah, there's still waiting lines here, but um, yes, you know, and I think there's a lot of hope for that to be more widespread and for people to feel safer. And there's the psychological aspect of it too. You know, it's hard for, we're, we are relationship-based people, you yeah. know, and I'm an introvert, so I'm, I'm totally cool working remote, but there is nothing better for me than being on site with a client and getting to do in the moment play like going, okay, we'll, we're going to put these papers up. We can do this like this quickly versus thinking, how do I convert an on in-person event, yeah. a 10 minute activity into something online that feels as connected? Well, you know, it, 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 there's something to be said about the third dimension, right? That, that physical <laughs> aspects, yes. right? Like, you know, it, the funny thing was, and when online dating first became a thing, I, I was like, yeah, let me try this, this, you know, before I got married. And That's good. I, you know, but it was one of these things where I, I tried it and I meet someone and be like, oh, I'm excited about it. And then you meet in physical and there was no chemistry, no spark. Right. You know, and it, it's one of those things where there's something to be said about that third dimension. Right. And, and I think that applies to our, our business relationships as well. Yeah. It's true. I think so too. And there's, you can spend, it takes more time. You can build those trusting relationships remotely, but it takes more time and it takes a different skill set. Absolutely. Or an added skill set. I mean, I'd say I'm very, we're at Radiant Digital, we're really lucky that we've actually had a very um, uh, decentralized company in terms of I've always had a lot of people working remotely you know, other states, other areas. So we had a very good virtual model to begin with. So our transition into the pandemic wasn't as rough as some other companies. Yeah, yeah. especially folks who work one-on-one -on -one with people and or frontline workers and all of that. Exactly, exactly. So let's, let me back up a little bit and talk about um, the one thing that I do ask all of our guests, and that is, is there something that you do every day that kind of keeps you focused on what your big goals are? Hmm. Um, you know, I just, unfortunately, I'm a workaholic. <laughs> yeah, and I found that this pandemic has actually made me work longer hours because in my mind, I've said, well, if I'm not commuting for 35, 40 minutes each way a day, right, I can get up at the same time, get down to my office, log on, engage. And, you know, I haven't 
yet. I'm, I'm not suffering burnout. It's more I'm climbing the walls looking for that, you know, human interaction. Yes. Yeah. Well, good. So you're keeping a schedule. Yes. That, I think that's the most schedule. important part. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I find that for me too. You know, it's like, okay, I just need some parameters and then, and then I can change them if I need to or want to. But okay. So let's talk about, I threw out a lot of um, acronyms and information in your introduction. So tell our listeners, when we talk about user experience, what the heck is that? And what is a user experience leader? What do you do? So user experience, whether people realize it or not, it's in every aspect of your life. Whether you're picking up your remote control for your television and seeing how the buttons are and are laid out and configured to the guide that might be on your cable and how that's laid out and configured to your microwave to have the buttons and laid out. It's everything that a person interacts with a product. And um, it was the interesting thing, I think UX was really pioneered in terms of the military complex. Like it really came into vogue, I would probably say, in the 40s or 50s in terms of layouts, in terms of tanks and the machinery to make it easier for people to operate. You know, so now we think about it in terms of like everything from your iPhone to, you know, websites where that ease of use, right? Can we pick up an item and start using it immediately without reading a manual or learning about it or Googling it, whatever it might be. Um, you know, so what I tell people is, my job is to make people's lives easier. So, and that was a big switch when you got to be doing that work from developing, from doing code. Yes. You know, kind of like the UX person is the architect who trying draws up the blueprints for the house where, you know, the developer is the one with the hammer and nails, actually putting the frames together, putting the plumbing in, etc. So how has your work and I'm thinking about this, not just for like the big companies that you work with or that people might say, oh, that's great for those big firms or the military, whatever. But how does thinking with a UX lens help us, all of us, do better in our work and in our um, experiences with other people, whether we're running small organizations or businesses? How does that mindset help us? Well, the great thing about UX, in particular, there's a concept called design thinking, where we, one of the main aspects is uh, empathize, right? And there's really two types of empathy, where the first one is emotional empathy. So say, Sarah, you, you know, had a, you know, lost your book bag, and it made you really, really sad. And, you know, I see you and I get sad because you're sad. That's emotional empathy. But then there's cognitive empathy where I want to know, I see that you're sad. I want to figure out why you're sad. And I ask you, hey, Sarah, what's wrong? What's bothering you? Tell me, Let you know, fill me in. And with UX, we practice empathy to understand what our users are feeling, what they want, what they need. And utilize that information to then define a problem and then utilize that information to formulate a solution. So then when we think about that 
lens. How does that kind of apply in workforce transformation as it relates to business? So I'm, you know, I'm thinking about, we've been through a lot of workforce transformation in a compressed time, right? Exactly. I mean, so it's, um, I'll give you a great example. So right now at Radiant, one of my, my biggest uh, clients is Verizon and we're doing enterprise applications for them. So meaning they're, the tools their employees that help keep the cellular systems up, your wireline systems up, you know, your FIOS going, et cetera. And typically what used to happen was, you know, IT might design an application, say, hey, I think this is ready, throw it over the fence to the users. They would use it and then maybe give their feedback. What we do is step in, and sit with the users, sit over their shoulders, watch them work, understand what are their goals? What are they trying to accomplish today? You know, what are, and what are the systems they use? How do they use them? What are those pain points? What are the pleasure points? And distill information from that so that we are getting a more complete picture before we're even writing a single light of code, right? So there's a, a, old rule of thumb that for every dollar that you spend in upfront usability um, work, you're saving a minimum of $100 in downstream development. And depending on the complexity of the project, that number can even balloon to $1,000. So it, that empathy you know, can work on so many different levels, right? Because we can all assume, like, you know, I've talked to product owners. Oh, I, kn I know my, my users. This is what they want, you know, but it's what he thinks they want. It's not in actuality. So when you say you look over their shoulders, see, you're in IT, so you actually could be remotely looking over their shoulders and looking at data usage, right? But then are there less technical ways? Because I'm the value of doing that and I'm thinking about even the organizations I work with that are doing direct services, right? And they're having to adapt, but oftentimes they're adapting based on what they think needs to happen, not necessarily what the people are telling them or mm -hmm. even what's coming back, right? Because there, there's not the information. So how could someone who doesn't have the technical, I don't want to use language that sounds terrible uh, because it's kind of like that you, once you're working on systems or computer systems, you've got a lot of data points to pull. But when you're working with people who you may not have those interactions with, you have, may have fewer data points, right? So well, it, it's a breaking that, that quantitative information that you're, you're referencing, right? So like if we're talking about a website or an application, what are the hard, cold data, right? Like where are people clicking? Where are they dropping off, right? What, what are the actions they're taking? But you need to marry that with the qualitative, right? That person-to-person -person interview, right? Like understanding um, their mindset, really like what their frustration points are. What are their emotional bonds to a system, right? Because in some of these organizations, and like especially say at Verizon, some of these applications that were revamping people have used for literally 20 years 
there's an emotional bond there, right? Like this is the only, I've worked with the company for 20 years. This is the application I've used for 20 years. I know it in and out. I can do it in my sleep. So how do we convince them to say, look, we need to move on, right? And it's like, do you still use a VCR? No, you watch Netflix now, right? So it, it's, we, we got to let go. We have to, you know, heed to progress. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm, I'm curious how much um, the pandemic is going to push some of those things that people have said for a while, they know uh, we need to get there. And then all of a sudden it's like, you have no choice, you have to be there now, right? Because that's how we work. So, um, but I that is curious to me because as you're saying that, we have this one um, company that we've been with, I've been with since like 83. My husband goes, I don't know why you stay with them. It's emotional, right? I know anytime I need anything, I make one phone call and I get it. And he goes, but it's more expensive. I says, I make one phone call and they solve the problem for me. I don't have to make 10. I don't have to follow up. So um, I'm thinking, yeah, it's a little more, but not on the, the pain point of having to recreate all those relationships again. So, um, but talk about a little bit the, you know, when you think about your first job, and then what kind of notable achievements from that led you to become vice president and then now at the, your current level? Because those are big jumps. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, so one of my earlier positions, my career at Kirschenbaum, um, you know, I was a producer, which really was a, you know, at the time, UX wasn't that big of a field. A lot of these terms were in coin, right? It, I, I think if I had that same position now, I would have been called a user experience designer. Um, I did a very big project for Edward Jones, the uh, you know financial services company, where we revamped their website. And the approach I took was meeting with a lot of Edward Jones advisors, and they the the way they spoke was they they made investing simple i think that might even still be their their tagline and i remember i met with all these advisors and you know one of them said hey you know think of the market as someone with a yo-yo walking up a flight of stairs the yo-yo is that daily fluctuations in the market the person is the overall movement of the market and that stuck with me and so when I approached redoing their website, I said, let's put it in terms that people can understand. So like, rather than say, categorize things by financial product, like, you know, retirement, and here's a 401k IRA, let's do things by age, life event, right? So I just had a baby, what should I do, right? Because that makes investing simple. And we wound up winning a uh, web marketing award, which then caught the attention of a recruiter at Bank of America who directly reached out to me. And that kind of launched my career, you know, to get into Bank of America. I think when I started there, it was an AVP. Um, and, you know, within a year, it was a VP. A year after that, I was running a team, you know, and my career just kept moving on and on. And I'll say, the great thing about user experience and being in financial services, they're one of the first ones who actually saw the value in it, right? Because um, if I could help a trader 
make a better decision, like, you know, shave a second off that decision, that helps them make money. And, you know, it gave me invaluable experience and really launched my career. That's so interesting to me because the part for me that you said that really captured my ear was taking that metaphor of someone go with a yo-yo going up the stairs because a regular person, right? I can picture that in my head, the life events, right? It's like, okay, now I can relate. Financial products, snooze bill, you know, yeah, exactly. it's, it could be, I mean, but yet it's important and, but you can make it seem so complex financial products instead of saying, just where are you in your life? What, you know, what's important here? Where will you be? What are your goals? Those kinds of things. And so it does make sense that an organization or a company that could see an immediate ROI on doing that work would be a big uh, proponent of the work. What have you seen come though? I mean, that was back in the beginning when they were one of the earlier adopters. So have you seen this approach, um, kind of be more widespread. I know you talked about Six Sigma and the product management and all of that, which has become more commonplace. I don't know how common it is, but it's more commonplace as approaches go. Um, what have you seen? Well, I, I would say, you know, I own probably most of my career to companies like Apple, right? <laughs> like who put you know, user experience, all right. I don't even take a step back in terms of customer experience to the forefront, right? Like I think recently I, I saw an article uh, online why no one throws away their iPhone box. And I was like, wait, I don't, I, I think I have all my iPhone boxes, even with my old iPhones in them. And part of that is because they're pretty, they feel good, right? It's that, again, we talk about emotional connection. Right. And and everything is just seamless from like the way you open it to the way you, you know, you turn it on, you set it up. Right. They they made user experience in the spotlight. Right. And everybody wants to emulate that. Right. Because if you think about Apple and the uh, how the brand people are so loyal to the brand. Right. Yeah. And it, it, it's through that simplicity of experience. And it got noticed and now everyone wants to do that you know so hats off to them i i i have a career because of it <laughs> but i also think it it throws the challenge to the rest of us to think about all the processes we do that could be complex and we've just accepted them because that's how we've done them rather than stepping back and saying is this aspect necessary you know does it add something you know or could we toss it right no, it, it, it's not, it, you know, it's funny. Uh, I now at, at Radiant, I have within my uh, practice, I, I have a, over 30 people and, you know, a lot of junior designers, uh, junior UI developers. And so my team, I always challenge them to take a different perspective on problems. And one of the stories I tell them going back to Apple was, when the first iPod was created, they brought it to Steve Jobs and they said, hey, we're done. Isn't this great? And it had a power button on it. The first question he asked them was, why does it need a power button? That's a really, you know, think about that. The requirement was we need to turn it on and off. Somebody put said, all right, we need to put a power button on it. But that's not how you're gonna use a music player. 
the first thing you're gonna do is wanna hit the play button. Why can't that be the power button? So that's what I challenge my team to bring that critical thinking, right? Can we lower that cognitive load? Can we take a different perspective on a problem to say, you know, if it's 10 screens, can we do it in five? Can we do it in two? Why not? Interesting, because when you say the cognitive load, I think as people right now, we're really swimming in a cognitive overload. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But, but you know, at the same time, right, when this started, I could say to you, in these trying times. No, they're just our times now. But now, exactly, that's <laughs> the point. It's now it's just our times. Yeah. And, and, and we learn, we adapt, yep. and you know what, we're going to, get past this, but are we going to be in a position to grow and, and succeed when we're back to quote unquote normal? Yeah. And I think we're probably, I'm, I'm an optimist, honestly. And I think that when people say, well, when things get back to normal, and if you really look, things were never predictable. We just were, they were more stable perhaps. Right. Hmm. But things, the normal always changes. Yes, it absolutely. always changes. But we just have this thing of saying, oh, you know, tomorrow will be like today, like the next day. And it always changes. We just didn't have these radical changes. So I think we will get back to some kind of balance. I don't know what that will look like, but I think there's well, an opportunity. That, that's no, the great right, thing, right. you know, and that's what can be exciting. Exactly. And I think there's going to be some great innovation that's come. I mean, look at just, I was telling my husband too, I says, look at the companies. And cause we just watched an ad for, you know, this is a, you know, unpaid ad for Ryder truck, something. And you know what? You never saw ads for Ryder, but now with logistics and things having to be shipped, of course, right. They're big guys. Now people need them. And so, but those are opportunities they may not have seen coming, but I want to get back to you and your work. And, you know, you talked about your team. Do you think it takes some different kind of leadership today in the work that you do than when you first started doing your work? Or is it pretty much the same, Matt? Um, from like the beginning of my career versus now? Yeah. You know, I would say pick the key high points, you know, after you got, after your first business went out of business. Yeah. You know. Well, well but, I, but I'd say, I think a good leader, whether it was in the year 2000 versus the year 2021, those qualities I think are somewhat the same, right? Like, uh, you know, that first job that I had, you know, my director, she was phenomenal. Like, and she was able to see, you know, my talents, what I wanted, and gave me a recommendation when we went out of business, you know, with a college friend of hers work at another company to say, interview this, this kid, give him a chance. And that launched my career, right? It's again, it's about having that empathy, being able to spot people's uh, strengths, their weaknesses. How can we build them up? I often say I'm successful when my team's successful. Right. Like I, I don't need the spotlight when the people under me shine, they win awards, you know, they get congrats from our clients. That's when I'm satisfied. You know, so I think that really is the most important part. 
right? Like, yeah, the tools, the technology, it might change, right? But um, it's the people, it's the quality, uh, the qualities and the people that really matter. Yep. Well, and boy, and a good team can, can accomplish some amazing things when their backs are against the wall and when things are going great. Yeah, absolutely. So has there been something that you needed to sacrifice for your roles at Radiant? Um, I'd say the only sacrifice is time, like, or, and that hasn't even been that bad this year. Um, like I mentioned, I used to travel a lot, right? Cause I have, you know, clients all around the country and there's, again, we talked about that, that third dimension, right? Being able to, you know, go there, talk to somebody, you know, see their body language, right? You know, if there was a problem with the project, I'm like, all right, I'll get on a plane, I'll head over there, you know, and you can do that over a video call, but it's not the same as being person to person because I I'm like, hey, let me let me take you out to dinner. Let's talk this over. Really, what like what's really going on, right? And and making it a more uh, personal experience, right? And um, so, in terms of like a sacrifice, yeah, maybe I'm I'm sacrificing time away from my loved ones. Right. But at, at the same time, I kind of, I, I, I enjoy that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I don't know if I could call it a sacrifice necessarily. It's maybe a trade-off is a better, yeah, that's a, a better, better word yeah. for it. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, you are a keynote speaker. Did that go away this past year or did you do go remote for it? Well, um, I've focused a lot on doing webinars this year. So I, I, or this year, last year, I should say 2020, um, where I did about, you know, four uh, virtual events, not the same. I'm kind of, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I'm an extrovert. I enjoy being up on the stage, you know, and seeing the crowd there and talking to everyone. Where a virtual crowd, even if I see there's, you know, a hundred people like in the Zoom meetings, not the, not the same. Same adrenaline rush, so to speak. Um, but you know, again, you know, we all have, we have to adapt. We have to do our part, and I'll be looking forward to maybe fingers crossed this fall getting back out on that stage. So, do you have special topics though that you like to speak on when you do speak? When you do get back out there and you get to be in person, what are your favorite topics to talk on? Well, always user experience, right? But really on how it relates to maybe specific problems. You know, like last year, my a big topic for me was around digital transformation and how UX can be a driver for that. Um, you know, I think this year I'm focusing, I want to focus more on workshops and getting people engaged and inter um, interactively you know, because again, we're missing that person to person connection. So if I can, I'm still kicking around some ideas. I'll let you know if, you know, once I, I land on one, but doing some virtual workshops where it can help bring uh, UX community members together. Um, so I have questions about that. Um, sure. So when you say bringing UX community members together, are they the clients or the other people like you bringing them together to help? I think, well, um, I'm a big, big advocate of being inclusive. And okay. I think UX is one of those things um, 
it, you don't have to be a UX professional to want to be involved and care about it, right? So especially when I go into a client organization, whether it's IT, product, marketing, doesn't matter. Like we all need a seat at the table, right? It, it's beholden on all of us because UX isn't a checklist item to say, right? I've done the user experience, right? It's a, it's a constant interaction of how a user uses a product. And that is beholden upon our BAs, our development, you know, our testers, it doesn't matter, right? They all need that seat at the table. So it, it's really opening it up to everyone, giving uh, exposure to the field and understanding what it that it, it takes a village. <laughs> okay. Well, and does that same concept apply? You're talking about a product, but does that apply to a service? Absolutely. That's okay. service design. So let's say there are two coffee shops across the street from each other. My they favorite sell, beverage. Yeah, they, they sell the same. They sell the same exact coffee. Okay. For the same exact price. Service design is going to be the driver to which one you actually go to. Right. It, the one that says, hey, Sarah, and you come in and gets your drink going right away could differentiate, you, you know, from the one across the street. Yep. So it, it's all inclusive. <laughs> okay. I just, it's helpful for me because when people ask like, well, and I'm going to ask you this question instead of just wondering, but if people say, well, how do I know if I should reach out to Matt, you know, and, um, or his team, who are your people? Who do you typically work with? Um, really anyone who has a software application problem to solve, you know, because it doesn't matter if you're a, a fortune 50 company or even like Joe's pizza shop, right? They could have a, need a website that's designed, you know, designed to make it more intuitive, to increase their orders, um, to, you know, reduce their cycle time in terms of like completing your orders, it, it doesn't matter, right? It's about that understanding of process and helping people. Okay. So someone could reach out to you or your team and, and at least pose what their problem is and you guys could walk them through and see if there's a fit for it. Absolutely, absolutely. So then with that, what is the best way for people to stay connected to you, Matt? Well. Definitely feel free to look me up on LinkedIn. Um, I'd be happy, you know, to accept any invitations or feel free to follow me. But you can also check out radiant.digital um, and check out our insights where you can see a lot of the webinars I do and articles that I've written. So there's good resources there that can help people out already. Absolutely. Um, plenty of articles uh, and case studies about our digital transformation um, experience. Um, but the webinars, I think, are probably the most engaging. Okay. Good Good heads up. Yeah. I'm going to make a left turn on you here as we wrap this up. What is your favorite thing about doing your music and what kind of music do you do? Since you said that's what you do in your spare yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. No, they, and I appreciate you asking that because it is my artistic outlet 
that, you know, allows me to kind of step away from, you know, the stress of the workday. Um, you know, I have a very eclectic um, taste in music. I've been, I was a DJ when I was younger in high school and college and even a little bit after that. Um, I got into a kind of electronic music production um, in my early 20s. I do a lot of, uh, you know, hip hop and house music. Um, and it's really something that I just enjoy for me. And I could, I can make a musical masterpiece and I'll be the only one to hear it. And I'm happy with that. <laughs> we all need our creativity. Yes. You know? It's a balance piece. Absolutely. Yep. Matt, I just want to thank you so much for being a guest on the No Labels, No Limits podcast. Um, and folks, I really encourage you to check Matt out on LinkedIn, look at Digit Radiant rather, and also um, ask questions because there are, is a thinking behind what Matt does that can help all of us improve how we interact with the world through our businesses and our digital platforms. Let me just say it that much, whether it's software or our website. So, um, Matt, again, thanks so much. And all right, thank you for having me. This is super fun. I really enjoyed it. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.